0: All right. Welcome back for another episode of Managing Expectations. Today, I've got a good interview with BSC Young Boys manager, Rafa Vicky. He's formerly the manager of Chicago Fire. For those around MLS, I probably know him better from that than the current manager of Young Boys. Uh, he also was previously the manager of FC Basel and briefly the United States U-17s, taking a group that included Gio Reyna and Gianluca Busio with him to the U-17 World Cup in 2019. Uh, the interview is worth your time. There's some nuggets in there. He talked about Jordan Pifolk, um, and you know, but he... he Rafa was hired before young boys transferred P-Folk to Union Berlin. Um, but it was, you know, a, as we kind of all imagined that, yeah, like P-Folk was looking for a new opportunity um, and perhaps to take a step up in leagues. Um, so even when when uh, Vicky was, was taking over, like the board, Ron honest with him um, saying that, yeah, he's, you know, P-Folk is probably almost definitely going to be leaving this summer. So maybe don't build your plans around him. Um, he got He got some training with him for a few weeks. Um, yeah, He had a lot of good things to say about p Folks, so that that's some interesting tidbits. Um, what he's been doing bef- uh, between leaving Chicago and taking the, this young boy's job I, I, I thought was pretty interesting. Um, this dude's got a really long resume. You know, he, ha- he had a really good career, a career that was shortened by injuries. He retired at 31, and he had already gotten like 75 appearances with the Swiss national team. Um, he's played in Germany, so he was able to talk a little bit about some of the MLS Exports U.S. national team guys that have gone to Germany. Um, he had, he briefly played for Chivas USA in that last season and a team that included like Jim Curtin, Jesse Marsh, um, and about four other guys who have become head coaches in, in MLS or at least top assistants. So yeah, there's, there's a wealth of knowledge there. Um, he's, I always thought that he was a super interesting guy or a nice dude. Um, again, even when things weren't exactly going his way in Chicago, but, um, I'm just going to say, it, look at, look at that roster. <laughs> um, the, it's like Bobby Shuttleworth was the starting goalkeeper right before Gaga Sonina uh, in 2021. Their DPs were Gaston Jimenez, Robert Barrich, and Nacho Ali Um, that's not exactly Raul Ruiz, Diaz, Jao Paulo, and Nico Ladero. Um, I'm just gonna leave it at that. And yeah, and, and their kind of domestic core it wasn't exactly Christian Roldan and Jordan Morris. Um, you know, things didn't go well in terms of results, but I look at that team and and there wasn't there wasn't a lot there. Um I digress. Apologies to anybody who Feel near and dear to that twenty twenty one Chicago Fire team for taking the pot shot there. Whatever, um, it was nice to catch up with Rocco So that'll be in about ten minutes from now. Before we get into that, I just wanted to dive into a quick MLS preview. Uh, we got a we got a full Wednesday night slate. We got eleven games. This is some midweek madness. I am very much looking forward to whatever the MLS After Dark imbued with a playoff race in both conferences. Uh, So, if you're listening to this and it's Thursday morning, um, or if you're just tired of hearing my voice already, uh, feel free to just skip ahead to the Vicky interview. Uh, There will be a general timestamp and notes in the notes. I've noticed that there's some pre-roll now coming with this podcast. So, it might not be exactly, but give or take, skip around. I believe you you can find it. All right. Anyway, playoff races in both the East and West are are on fire. Uh, The games recently have had more urgency, more of a playoff feel. I really love this time of year in MLS. Uh, There's no more... You know, oh, we can make it up later in the season. Like, no, teams have seven games left, give or take. This is it. Got a full midweek slate. 11 games to get into. This We're, we're over the kind of midsummer hump where it's a couple, you know, random Wednesday games here and there, some out-of-conference games, some, all right, this team, we think they're pretty good. They got time. Like, how, how long have we been saying Seattle's going to figure it out? Seattle's going to figure it out. Seattle's going to figure it out. Well, we're at the point where if they don't win, you know, five of their last seven games – then they're not making the playoffs for the first time ever. So there's no more of hey, kick it down the road. They're gonna they're gonna figure it out. We know they're good. Like this is the this is the urgency time, and this is where you're really living and dying on these results. And I think that's the one general complaint about MLS is is you know, sometimes it's a little difficult earlier in the year if you're not in a supporter shield race or you don't think you're gonna be in a supporter shield race that you know it's it's a little bit dull, I guess. Again, this is the, the counter-argument I I find fun in, in all of this crap, but um that you know sometimes the games don't feel like they matter life or death the same way that when liverpool dropped points on their opening weekend i got angry texts from some of my fellow liverpool fan friends saying well this sucks the title's already out of our hands uh so yeah it's not <laughs> the playoff system unless it doesn't feel quite like that but uh right now the games are, are going to be a lot of fun super urgent i love it um so let's just get into some of the games mostly just going to focus on the playoff stuff um i'm going to go with the east first philadelphia union hosts host atlanta united We're getting close to it's time to cross off Atlanta if they don't get a result here. And going away to the best team in the East, either the best or second best team in the league, who just threw down another six-goal victory in their last game for the fourth time in 10 games. That's a tough assignment for Atlanta. Um, And I'm going to point out that Atlanta, while they did just beat D.C. United, they conceded twice, and that D.C. United team literally had not scored a single goal in the month of August. And what that game was August twenty eighth or August twenty seventh, so yeah, there's could be some issues there. And coming with, with the Union for the absolute smackdowns that they've been putting, I think that there's going to be some goals here. Um, hopefully that'll be a fun one because Atlanta do have attacking talent of their own. Um, I I think one thing to, to look at on, on the Union side, in addition to their supporters' shield chase, now it's a legitimate race. They're you know LAFC have a game in hand, but they're only three points ahead of them. Um, so but but even with that shield race. I think the union are probably going to rotate. Um, Jim Curtin has, has talked pretty honestly and pretty publicly about, you know, we, we believe that, you know, around three players, we've looked in the data and studies of that's probably the, the right amount of rotation. That's the rotation we're comfortable with. Who knows, you know, if, if they're going to tweak that or not, but if we're looking at about three, I very, very much assume that Jack McGlynn's going to start just because he didn't start the last game. Maybe there's a spot for Pax and Aronson, maybe Brandon Craig, maybe Quinn Sullivan, Nathan Harrell, We'll see. Um, but you know, with or without the kids, Philly are just a must-watch right now. They're one of the best two teams in the league. They're a lot of fun on top of that. You know, I think the knock on them might have been their not having the air top end talent in years past, but you know, again, over the last ten games, Kalura, Julian Carranza, and Daniel Gazdag are legit stars and and that that cohesive group is is one of the best in the league. So look, anytime you can watch Philly, you watch them. Hosting Atlanta should be fun. These two teams have come together for for numerous good, really good games in the past. Brett Aronson scored his first goal at Atlanta United. That'll always be kind of a thing that I associate with this matchup. So, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that one. But it, it it's high time for Atlanta. This is this is a cross them off, win or go home type of game. Not to borrow too many you know old school sports radio tropes. Uh, another one in the the playoff race. A more a, a true six pointer. Columbus Crew hosting Inter Miami. Columbus and Miami are level on points with 36, though the Crew have a game in hand. Um, Miami are coming into this limping pretty hard with Alejandro Pazuelo suspended after his red card against a loss to the Red Bulls. How quickly the kind of the vibes can change. There've been some questions over whether or not Gonzalo Higuain will be available. So just a really, really brutal time for Miami to be missing two of their best players. And, you know, Pazuelo, probably the most important attacker. Um, and then yeah, obviously Leo Campagna and everything. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not ideal timing for Miami to go on the road to, to Columbus. Ah, uh, but Columbus haven't looked too convincingly free-flowing. Um, in in their past games, look, they've only lost I think once in their last thirteen games, eight of which were draws, though. So, or seven or eight of which, whatever it is, um, they've just looked a little eh, you know, right? Like a team with Lucas Alarcon and and Cucho Hernandez, they should be attacking more and they should be kind of a little bit more free. Let's see what happens after that insane wild two-two draw against Cincinnati, but. Again, Columbus feel like a pretty good bet on this playoff bubble to stay above the line, if for nothing else other than that top-end talent, plus the game at hand on everybody, including two games at hand on Toronto. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's another big one in the East. New England are in that grouping. They're playing Chicago. Um, just has to be three points for New England. It just has to be. They have seven games left. They're two points below the playoff line now. I know that the attack has been what, what I've been calling just Carlos Hill and the boys because it's Carlos Hill... And a lot of guys who they didn't expect to be starting at this stage of the season um, in these meaningful games. Gustavo Bo has been out. Giacomo Veroni has been out. Dylan Barrero, Ismael Tajori um, uh, Carlos Hill's brother Nacho Hill, Hill, and Tajori and shradi have not debuted for this team yet. Uh, Barrero has been out for about a month and a half now. Veroni has played 58 minutes. And again, Gustavo Bo was also out. Bo returned last weekend probably won't be 90 minutes fit or able to start, but if, if they can get 45 minutes from Bo and, and pick up three points, then they're treading in the right direction. Um, I have no idea about Veroni, Barrero, DeJoy Shry or Nacho Gil are in terms of availability. The revs are a little clouded into, you know, Bruce Arena is a little guarded when, when you ask him about it. I think the, the availability report just writes uh, leg injuries for all of them. Not what part of the leg, no, no severity or anything. So we'll see when the lineups come out or if, if there's kind of, New England reporters that I haven't seen that, are, that have reported it. So, yeah, that that's one to watch. It's Got to be three points for New England. Toronto FC are hosting the Galaxy It's the Greg Valley Greg Vanny return, um, and Toronto have to be running on fumes. They've been playing a bunch of games, ended in the you know uh, the Canadian Championship final, um, and this is another midweek game for them. The Italians have to be running on fumes. They have to be guests, you know the, these uh, Bernadeschi, Insigne, and Cushito joined. In the summer, without much of a preseason, uh, just kind of thrown right into it. And not only do they have to play all these minutes, they have such heightened importance on this team just because of their Toronto' chase to the playoffs. But, again, they, they have to play. They have to go. It's they they Again, they don't have any room. They, they probably have to win four out of the last six games, maybe even five to really guarantee a playoff spot. So, again, these are must-watch. It's fun as hell when, when this team is chasing. And, hey, Ricky Pooch, Senior Bernadeschi, Chicharito, how's that for star power on a random Wednesday night, huh? staying it is staying with another kind of interconference game. Seattle go to Orlando. It's a must win for them. Seattle are now four points below the playoff line. Um, and that's on the galaxy galaxy have a game in hand. So if we're going all things being equal, Seattle are six points behind RSL who, you know, they, uh, they are level on games played. So yeah, it's, the the streak is in serious jeopardy. Some people are, are going as far as to say that you know they don't expect them to make it over the playoff line again. This will be the first time in their history that they don't do that. If they don't make the playoffs, they won the Champions League earlier this season. I remember when they were in the midst of winning that game against Pumas at home, and Gial Paolo went down with a non-contact injury. You know you don't have to be a doctor to have feared in the moment that maybe this is a season-ending season injury. And unfortunately, that feared was confirmed pretty quickly, pretty much by the next day while they were still celebrating. And I remember thinking, I remember looking like, you know, this is the highest of all highs, potentially being the first team to win the Champions League, which they, they finished off the game and did. But like, as as I was watching Jao Paulo on, on the turf, getting ready to be subbed out with that injury, I was thinking, are, are we going to look back on this in six months or whatever? I was like, damn, like, we thought that we'd like, this is the deepest team. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. And here we are. They're they're not fine. It's Paulo. It turns out it's pretty tough to replace one of the best players in the league. I think I voted him third on my MVP ballot last year. So, you know, we'll see. That's not, if they could, this like Toronto, that would be a team that's fun as hell if they're able to kind of start scratching and scrolling, uh, scratching and clawing to get back, to get towards the playoff line. Um, it'd be more fun if they do, but, you know, form is not in their favor. Time is not in their favor. They're going to Orlando. Um, That's a really, really difficult trip from the Pacific Northwest to all the way in South uh, Central Florida. Um, They just got to win. No excuses. Their time's running out. Uh, One more to kind of highlight: Real Salt Lake are hosting Minnesota. These are two point two teams above the playoff line. Minnesota very, very comfortably. They are not in this playoff race like Real Salt Lake are, but Minnesota are trying to stay in third and have a home playoff game. And and you know, again, they they should feel pretty safe in having a home one, but. Staying in third is kind of their their goal at this point kind on of Bukai who's out for the season with an injury. Uh, but Real Salt Lake are three points above the playoff line, though they have a game in hand over the Portland Timbers. So every point matters, everything matters. Um and Real Salt Lake, MLS after dark on a Wednesday night. I think that'll be it won't be won't be a normal game as it as it normally is for that team. So yeah, looking forward to that. Should be a good atmosphere. They've been selling out a ton this year. Fives are back in in, in Salt Lake, and, and that's that's one of the best stories in the league. All right, that's your Wednesday night MLS preview. Looking forward to seeing those games. Stop by. I'll I'll be hosting MLS After Dark on Wednesday night with Matt Doyle, I believe is the co-host. Just going to be running down the games, something like this. Going to be a little frantic, a little bit of of random takeaways, but, you know, that'll be good. So, all right, on to Rafa Vicky. All right, I'm really excited for this one. Uh, Rafa Vicky joins now. Rafa, just sit tight for a second. It's going to take a minute to get through your very, very extensive history, resume, current ongoings. Right now. Uh, Ralph is the current manager of Swiss Giants. BSC Young Boys, who are off to a flying start in the league. Um, he also previously managed Basel, uh, also in Switzerland. Chicago Fire and MLS. United States U-17s at a U-17 World Cup. His playing career was, was really strong, and, and I think that's what people forget about some of these current coaches, that you guys were legit ballers back in the day. Um, you played with, with Sion in Switzerland. I hope I'm not mispronouncing that. Werder Bremen, Atletico Madrid, Hamburger, and finally the now-defunct Chivas USA, also, 75 caps with the Swiss national team, including Euro- two European Championships and one World Cup. All right, did I get it all? or Did I miss anything?
1: No, I think that's pretty much that's pretty much everything. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> having me. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Thanks for taking the time um, it, at the end of the transfer window here. So uh, let, let's just let's start it off with with you know your current ongoings with, with young boys. You were appointed manager earlier in the summer, um, and I know it's early. You guys had a bunch of of conference league qualifying games, but a really strong start in the league, you know, how's it been since taking over, implementing your style of play with games every third day and you're traveling to, you know, everywhere across Europe?
1: Yeah, I took over. So I was appointed, I think it was like Mm. mid-May. I think it was mid or end May. The the preseason started mid of June. Um, So it was was pretty quickly. And then we had like a four or five-week preseason. And then uh, mid of July, we started the Swiss. The Swiss season already started. And uh, three days later, the conference uh, conference league qualifying started. So, since uh, I think July fifteenth until like actually last weekend, Sunday, we had about thirteen games. Uh, we played every every three three four days. Uh, a lot of traveling throughout Europe, which for the Americans is no problem. The country is so big. <laughs> Europe we travel a little bit less. Um, so that has been uh, challenging, but but very interesting. And um, yeah, I was focusing on on. In preseason, obviously, you have like four or five weeks to try yeah. to focus on certain things you want to you want to see from your team. That that's what I did. But obviously, you know as well that taking a team over is a process. It takes some time to implement your style of play. Um, uh, but but yeah, I also knew coming in, I'm not gonna change the whole style of play of this team. This team was very, or this club was very successful in the last uh, five years. Uh, they had a distinct style of play as well so obviously I, I came in and didn't I'm, I'm not going in there and changing everything and um, I was mainly focusing on, on on working a lot on like uh, team spirit team mm-hmm. building uh, I have a very good roster with very good quality and I think the main thing was like okay how can we get everyone together and that everyone understands that it's all about the team and all about the group and that was the main focus and then with the games obviously you try to implement certain things yeah
0: but, so, but even with that, so you had the the preseason, which must have started very early, given where the league starts and, and where the the qualifying game started. So you have that the preseason games, but that's your real training time. And then again, you, you're pretty much every third two, three games a week. It's what got to be regeneration, preparation, game. Like like how do you, I guess further implement what you wanted in the preseason? and, you know your little tweaks on on the general style? while mostly just doing walkthroughs and, and, and regen sessions, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, so the tricky part was taking over the team uh, starting preseason and because at the end of the last season the, there was a UEFA window where the national teams played. So yeah. a lot of players actually went to the national teams uh, so they had a longer season. Uh, it was the A national team, the men's national team, and the under-21 national teams as well. So we have a lot of under-21 uh, national team players as well. So I had about... About ten players not starting at the same day as the others. Obviously, that was tricky. They came back like about a week, seven, eight days later. Mm. So uh, the tricky part was to bring everyone on the same level. Um, but then, yeah, you start like just you try to explain them what you want to see, how you want to, what your style of play, some principles, um, and you really try to use the the time on preseason. Preseason was was pretty heavy. We trained uh, we trained a lot, double sessions. Um, and you do then walkthroughs, you you know that going into these preseason friendly games, you're not going to be fresh, you're going to be tired, but you have to train, you have to show them what you want. Um, and, and you also know that per- probably once the season starts, not everything's perfect. It's not possible to implement your style of play in four or five weeks. And like I said before, it's, it's, it's a process. But after that, it's a lot of video, it's, it's talks, mm-hmm. individual talks, group talks with the players. And, and that's still ongoing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very happy with a lot of things, but I'm obviously not 100% happy with with, with every game and everything we do. But that's gonna take. It's not even it's not gonna be done in October. It's gonna take a while.
0: Uh, I'd also argue that people in your profession, at the top of the, of this profession, I don't think that you could. There'd be anything that you'd be 100% satisfied. I, I think if you won every single league game, every qualifying game, everything. You'd be like, yeah, well, we could have done better on the, on that set piece, or, or you know, that transition wasn't so quick. My, my my theory, my my assumption is that you guys, by nature, have to be insatiable, and, and nothing can ever be hundred percent perfect.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, as a coach, uh, you're always you're always finding errors and and things, but you have <laughs> to obviously be careful as well. You cannot. You also have to compliment the players when they do <laughs> really well and the mentality is well and we we had a very good start i think in these 13 games we conceded only 3 goals and we scored a lot of goals <laughs> um, but even in in wins where we won maybe 3-0 we didn't concede not everything's perfect because the opponent has chances so you still have to you still always have to tell the team guys we know where to put this game we know that we're very happy about the result very happy about the win but this game could have turned differently if they would have scored here so you just you just i i always think we, I'm not flying away when we win, and I'm not falling into depression when we when we lose. I think you have to find a middle uh, balance there, and 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 just be like, just show them um, things which we can do better. And even when you lose, you also try to take the positives out and then correct the, the, the mistakes. And that's that's a little bit my philosophy.
0: I like that turn of phrase. Uh, but so speaking of scoring a bunch of goals, the leading goal scorer in the league last year was, was Jordan P. Folk. Um, he was, I believe, I was looking at the official dates when I was prepping for this. I, you took over. You said at the end of May or the beginning of June. I have, his transfer was official on like June 30th or something. So, if you could just kind of walk me through that timeline, if you knew when you were kind of taking over that, like, hey, like we're he's going to be sold to somewhere else in Europe. Like, what what was that like on your end?
1: Yeah. So my my conversations with the board were very honest from the beginning. And when when we spoke about the roster, they told me that look, this is the current rosters this is the current roster, but there will be players sold. And and Jordan Jordan Pifak was one of the players where they told me look, he will probably he wants to leave, he wants to he will probably have offers, so if there is a good offer coming, the chances are pretty big that we're going to sell him. So I took over, he was there Um, he trained with us, but he had a little bit something from the end of last season so he was not training 100% Mm -hmm. um, but I only worked with him for for maybe three weeks. He's a really good guy. He was very professional. My conversation with him was obviously very open and very honest. I was always informed where he he is, on what point he is. And I also told him, look, sometimes because I had more than 20 players, sometimes uh, I had to do tactical things and I had to leave him out of the tactical Mm -hmm. things, which is something... You don't really want to do. He was the best goal scorer yep. from last season. So that's not really something you do. You don't really leave your best goal scorer out. But I had to tell him, say, look, I know that you may leave. So this is nothing personal. You just have to understand that I have to pre- prepare a season. We start in two weeks or three weeks with our season. So he was very professional, very understanding. And he, the, the trainings he did, he was he, he was good. And then, and, and then at the end, we sold him um, to the Bundesliga, which is obviously great for us to sell players to the Bundesliga, to one of the top five leagues, uh, I was very happy for him uh, and he is now a great ambassador for Young Boys Bern in the Bundesliga and he he, he had a great start I'm very happy for him. I, I think he will do really well in, in that team in Union Berlin with the way they play and I cross fingers for him.
0: Yeah that, that's kind of what I was going to say if you know it's, it's obviously easy now to look at a couple of the goals he's already scored so it's easy to assume that things are going well and hopefully it'll continue to go well but I, I guess, was there any part of you that was like, you know what, like it might make my job a little easier if we could keep the reigning golden boot winner of this league and, and maybe, you know, again, the top goal scorer from the team and everything and somebody who's scoring in Champions League. So was there ever any part of you or, or was it just like too, too obvious and like, all right, like there's no need for me to think about what I could do with him on the team because, again, the, the, the overwhelming likelihood is he's not going to be here.
1: No, I knew that the chances are bigger that he's not going to be here. And, and to be honest, when I took over, we had I think six, six or seven centre forwards, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and with really good quality. Uh, mm-hmm. So we had him. The club bought uh, or brought back Jean Pierre Enzame, who was the before Pifog. He was two years in a row the leading goal scorer who went on loan to Venezia uh, in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, played with Busio and, and some other Americans there. Um, but he came back uh, to Young Boys, so we got him back, and we bought uh, a a Swiss national team uh, player, uh, Cedric Eaton, who mm-hmm. came from Glasgow Rangers. He came, so so we obviously had other strikers as well. and I knew that the chances that that leaves are, are bigger than that he stays, so so I was prepared for that.
0: What is he capable? Do you think that he's again? And I don't want to get too stuck into a player again that you, that you closely worked with only for a couple of weeks, and and even at that, you said he was a little bit in and out with with injuries and everything else. So, well, like what what is he? capable of on kind of the international level is 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 this a, is this a guy who, who you're going to expect to see with the U.S. national team it just in general moving forward particularly I guess if he continues his goal scoring with Union Berlin
1: well that's difficult for me to obviously give an answer uh, <laughs> I don't want to speak <laughs> not a great question either to be fair no no, no I don't <laughs> speak to Greg and his staff the, the, what we can talk about is obviously his qualities he's a number nine he is he he is tall you all know him. is tall he he is not the guy who will run you behind the channel and is very very quick he is a typical number 9 in the box he's very clean uh, finishing goals uh, he's a link up player and 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 he has shown uh, with burn that he can score goals he has shown in champions league that he can score goals and he shows it now in bundesliga that he can score goals now uh, can he can he do that over 10 15 games in the bundesliga uh, and not only over two or three games um, then I think if he shows shows that if he keeps showing that, then I think he he will be very very interesting for for Greg. But but that's obviously um, that's obviously not not for me to speak about. <laughs> obviously there is a lot of other factors uh, how you choose your roster and, and, of and, and style of play. But but um, you need you need players around him who have different qualities uh, to bring the quality from P uh, mm. in, into accounting.
0: Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, and one more kind of Swiss football question. I'm not sure. Sh- I, I know that Young Boys and Basel are traditionally the, the two biggest clubs. You can correct me wherever I'm being ignorant, but I don't know what the inner workings of, say, air quote, a rivalry or a derby is there. But obviously you were the Basel manager, you, and, and previous to that, you came through coaching, like, some of their youth ranks, um, and then you, you took the Young Boys job this summer. I guess, was there any hesitation to taking that job after previously working for Basel, or, or is this not, like, you know, Liverpool, Manchester United or insert any of those like Boca River.
1: No, it's it's not like that. There is a rivalry because they are the, the biggest clubs in Switzerland. And obviously in the last 10, 12 years, it was mainly Basel and Youngers mm-hmm. who who won the titles. There was Zurich a couple of times in between. Yep. Um, but otherwise it was just them. But there is not like, uh, it's not like uh, I have worked in Basel. I cannot work for example Bern. <laughs> Um, and and look, I mean, my job, uh, the coaching job, is is especially in Europe. It's obviously it's it's way quicker than the changes are way quicker than in than in the United States. Uh, yeah. And I hope it stays like that in the States that they give the coach <laughs> more time. Here it's very quickly. So you cannot you cannot uh, say I'm am if I have ever worked here, I'm not going to work there. I don't think that that yeah. is maybe with Glasgow Rangers and Celtic Glasgow maybe a case and <laughs> certain, certain cities, but otherwise it's just. You have to take the opportunity if the opportunity is right for you. And that was the case in, for me.
0: Yeah, of course. And so far, so good in, in terms of early results and, and everything. Uh, but yeah, so again, speaking of coaching in the United States, you were with the Chicago Fire for a few years. Um, I guess just this is probably another boring or bad question. But just in generally speaking, looking back on your time there, you know, what do you make of your time in MLS with the Chicago Fire?
1: So I think I have to start a bit earlier. I I, I played I played uh, my last uh, stop. Was, yeah, uh, I got questions for that coming up. Don't don't yeah, you worry. Chivas, I could talk about today. forever. Exactly. <laughs> so ever since then, ever since, that was 2008, and I I stopped my career in 2009. So ever mm-hmm. since then, I stayed in touch with a lot of old teammates uh, at Chivas USA. I followed the MLS very closely. Um, like I said, I always went back and forth to LA because I have a connection there. So my Somehow, my dream or my wish was always to coach in MLS. Even when I was back here, Mm -hmm. started to do my coaching uh, licensing and started coaching in the youth, and then getting up to Basel, uh, my my wish was always I always wanted to coach in MLS. So so after uh, after losing my job at Basel in 2018. Um, I said I'm going to make a break and, and my next job I would really like to go to the US so that that is that was the thought uh, mm-hmm. behind coming to the US and those two years in Chicago were uh, tough but very very interesting um, I'm happy I have this experience, I'm happy I was there I, I'm, I'm thankful to, to have had this opportunity there um, because that's what I always wanted and I, I do not regret it all Um but of course uh, under these circumstances 2020 taking over mm-hmm. uh, having very short time to create a roster um, because chicago lost like five or six uh, key pieces that that winter and then covid uh, coming uh, obviously that was was not easy to come into a new country and a new league but but still i i'm i'm very happy i had this experience and i met a lot of great people there and 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 i got to know the league Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the game uh, way closer now, and, and that will help me as well in the future.
0: So again, it's taking trying to take the pandemic out of this because that's the obvious answer if I was to ask what's, what was the most difficult part about managing an MLS, and again, particularly you just taking over that season, so you got two games in and then you know, three or four-month break, can't even train or anything. So kind of setting that aside as the obvious answer, I mean, maybe some, some of the smaller things, what were, I guess, the most difficult, difficult parts for you of, of managing an MLS?
1: Um, so the daily work is not different. The work of the team, in terms of coaching, in terms of preparing, and is is not different. Um, and I have to say that globally, the infrastructures in America in, in in soccer are are amazing. In Chicago, they're not yet there, but I know that Joe Mansueto wants to build something that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But building a roster, um, building a roster, and then and then having all these rules with the money and the budget and all of that. Uh, obviously, I wasn't the, the manager, but that mm. obviously still affects my work. Then is completely different, uh, completely different than than in Europe. Um, uh, so, so that affects your roster. Then um, the game itself, compared to here, uh, is less tactical. I, I feel like it's it's a very difficult league to 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 play in the MLS, but also mm-hmm. the coaching. Uh, it's a lot of transition. It goes up and down. It's less compact than here, and that sometimes I think makes it a little bit more difficult. How can you how can you deal with that as a coach? Mm. But otherwise, uh, it's it's not. Uh, there's nothing in particular which makes it more difficult. It's just it's just way more. Um, it, how do you say it's just way more more equal? I mean, you can yeah. win basically against every team, and you can basically lose against every team because m- normally, with the salary cap, you have similar mm-hmm. circumstances you have similar amount of money you just need to play well with that money which is not the case all over the world let's be honest yes. I, and, and i'm now here with burn and i know that uh, we have obviously better possibilities than maybe 80 percent of the other teams now it's up to me to work well with, with, with these players but i know that going into a game here um, that I probably have a little bit of a better roster than other teams, not that all the teams, mm-hmm. and I still need to do a good job there. Bayern Munich has the better roster than mine's 05 in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's, that's the difference in, from the MLS. It's, it's like, really, you, you can go and win a, anywhere, but you can also lose everywhere. And that makes it very interesting, makes it, makes it difficult. But there's not one particular thing which, which is different or diff- difficult.
0: I was gonna say, if coming from, from your perspective as a head coach, and again joking before that, just the nature of this business—you have to be kind of a control freak, or kind of planning for everything. And so the parity brings in a lot of chaos. So I, on one hand, it it must be nice knowing that all right, doesn't matter, we can win today. But also that like you could do all this preparation, and then it comes down to a little bit of randomness, or a little again a little bit of chaos, or a little bit of of you know all right, our one of our three DPS is out today. The other team has all three of theirs so that puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage so was, is that like difficult to kind of grapple with in, in, in your position
1: well i think something i've 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 always learned or I've, I've now understood better than when i when i before i came there is like okay the, the choice of your dps are very, very is very very important how you spend your money also on your tam and gam uh, players is very very important i still believe that you have the best chances to win in MLS if you're not depending only on your uh, right. three DPS. I still believe, and teams, a lot of teams prove that if you're able to create a roster which has which has 14, 15, 16 guys who who all can contribute and all have a, a good, very good quality, you have you have more chances. But of course, um, of course, that's something I've learned. If you're if your uh, three DPS don't really work, then then you lose a lot of quality in in your team. That's for sure, and that's completely different than than what you experience when you coach in Europe or probably even in, in South America, because the rosters are not built like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the discrepancy and, and everything else. Um, so yeah, you you were with Chicago for for a bit, and then again before taking the young boys job, when you were I guess bet- between taking a little bit of a break or, or just as you said, you, you played for Chivas USA, and so you, you have ties to the Los Angeles area. And I was told kind of in, in prep preparing for this is that you spent you spent a decent amount of time over a couple of months with LAFC um, before you, you took the young boys up. So is there any big takeaways from that? I know that you would have played with John thorrington if that lined up with at Chivas, if, if I don't have the roster in front of me. But so I guess what were your what were your thoughts and, and experiences of, of kind of sitting in with LAFC a couple of times a week?
1: Yeah, so I didn't play with John Torrington. I met John Torrington, when I think, when LAFC was created five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. I played with Ante Razov. He was one of my teammates uh, at Chivas. And uh, I know Steve uh, from the Bundesliga as well. And uh, every time, even before this year, every time I came back to LA and I had time in between a job or even a Christmas break when I was at Basel coach, I came and I went to visit uh, LAFC uh, because I know... know, uh, The people there and they were always very open to me and and opened the door. Um, So this time I was uh, spending about three months, three to four months in L.A. My wife is from L.A. and she was working there and I was over there. And I obviously had a lot of free time. And um, I asked if I would be able to come and look how they do and just to talk and sit in. And and, uh, John and obviously Steve and his staff were very, very open to me. And uh, so I was there. Sometimes three times a week, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. once or twice a week. Whenever I had free time and they were okay with that, I I was there. And it was very, very uh, interesting to see. Um, I was there at the end of pre-season and then at a little bit of the beginning of the season. And it was, it was just very interesting to me to see how Steve does when he comes in as a new coach uh, with his staff. And and um, I just, yeah, I try to take out how he manages the team. Uh, i felt a very very positive energy in, in in the staff in the environment from the beginning that's what i felt there obviously there is a really good quality of players for an mls team mm-hmm. um, but the way the way the guys worked with each other was always was always um, impressive to me they were very calm they were very organized and, and it's just a good atmosphere there and obviously then uh, then seeing as well and talking with steve how he manages the big stars the dp's and and, and all of that was very interesting
0: yeah, so going back to the beginning of the season, you know, it's easy. It's easy to look back as LAFC are at top the Sporter Shield standings, looking the best team in the league. It's easy to say in hindsight, oh yeah, we all saw that coming. But there were real questions about this team, as you said, Steve came in as a new head coach. Um, they had a really disappointing 2021 season. You know, Diego Rossi's gone. Um, all Mark Anthony K. There was all these players from their you know best ever season in 2019. It's like everybody but Carlos Vela was gone. Uh, so there were like real question marks around this team for you, for being around them a little bit at the end of preseason, beginning of the season, were you, could you kind of tell right away, like, oh yeah, like something's clicking here. Like, like this team's back.
1: I mean, also, like I said, it's always difficult to predict the MLS because (laughs) you can really win against everyone and lose against everyone. It's so, it's, it's so different. Uh, What I just felt, this was the energy. There was a really, really positive energy. I felt, I felt the players felt, felt really, really well around, around the staff and the days were there and in training. Um, Obviously, I, I cannot say now I, I was able to predict that. I, I obviously know the players uh, because I was coached two years in MLS and even before, when I was at the, with the under seventeens. I knew the MLS players. So I know the quality of that of that squad, of that roster, um, and I knew that they have good quality. But for me, it's it's let's let's call it let's say that I'm not surprised that they're doing well. Because I felt like they're all on the same page and they're, they're the team spirit and the teamwork they have is, 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 really, is really good or was really good. And obviously mm-hmm. that starts with the management. Uh, you, you, and and, and as, well, as well there, I felt like uh, Steve was always, it's about the team. It's, 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 it's not one guy can do something different than the others. And, and, and that was the atmosphere I felt when I was there. And, and I, I believe that that plays a big part in, in, in a team to have success is what is the energy in the team? Uh, are they, do they like being together? Do they like working together? Do they like working for each other? And that's something I felt there without now saying this is the only reason. obviously.
0: Yeah. And uh, they've since added, you know, bail and Keely and, and Blanga. Um, so yeah, I think, I think they're in uh, a decent shape right now.
1: <laughs> True. A lot of quality there. Um, yeah. But again, Hamilas is different. Uh, the last year's, uh, the teams who were number one, uh they—I don't know if this year is the same, but last year I think New England Revolution had a three-week break before their first game, or two and a half week. Yep. Um, so playoffs—it's one game—you never know. But obviously, they're—they're um, they're a great team and they're doing a great
0: job there. Um. So again, going backtracking in MLS again, I can't believe it's been twenty-four and a half minutes, and I haven't uh, asked about Chivas USA yet. So yeah, you—you ended—you ended your career at Chivas. 2008 was your last season. Uh, You almost came back for 2009, and and then you retired. So um, I guess, one, what drew you to Chivas, to MLS, and and two, was it was a difficult kind of stepping away, I I believe at 31 years old?
1: Yes, yeah, so I was under contract in Hamburg. I played about 10 years in Germany and, and, and one year in, in, in Spain and uh, I had one more year left in my contract and um, they wanted me to leave. They told me, you're not going to play anymore, so please leave. So sure I was that kind too, right?
0: That's nice.
1: So that's, it's business, right? I mean, no one in the end says thank you. Uh, it's just how it is and you have to accept that and, and it's fine. Um, and then I think MLS started growing. And that was the year uh, David Beckham came over. Mm. I actually went for a one-week trial to Chivas in, in summer 2007, right when Beckham was transferred. Wow! And um, Preki was my coach, and yep. yeah, I I I just was ready for a new experience, and and uh, I I said, okay, let's go. Let's fly over there. Let's see how it is because I didn't really know LA well and I didn't really know. I just knew it's, it's sunny and it's nice weather. <laughs> um, so I came there and um, right from the beginning, I said, yeah, I want to do that. I, I would like to experience that. And then um, I, I, I came only in January uh, mm-hmm. 2008. But unfortunately, my uh, my my body was always was already like at the end. I, I couldn't. I was a lot of. I had a lot of injuries, uh, mm-hmm. so I couldn't really contribute uh, a lot to Chivas USA in that 2008 and 2009 season. But uh, like I, I met a lot of great guys. A lot of guys who yeah. you guys all yeah. know, and they're now in coaching and assistant coaching. And like Jesse Marsh was there, Jim Curtin mm-hmm. was there, Ante Razov, um, Sasha Klisan is still playing now. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of guys. Um, Aleko Escandari, and We had a great team really great guys and i really enjoyed that there and ever since i stayed in touch with them um, and 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 uh, then yeah i always followed the mls but i i i regret i regret that's not my fault but i regret that i couldn't
0: yeah. play more
1: in the mls i i had five i had five appearances in the mls only uh, but i really enjoyed that and i wanted to experience the traveling the, the mm-hmm. traveling to the different cities and, and all all what's combined to MLS, which is completely different to, to, to Europe. But unfortunately um, I couldn't do that. And, and it was a shame, but um, yeah, maybe that was the reason I wanted to come back so badly and, and, and coach there.
0: That's what I was going to say. So, so even you, you talk about that, that you wish you were able to play more, obviously, but Hey, even that, that one decision to, you know, I'll try something different leads to, you know, puts you on the path that eventually has you as the United States, u 17 head coach uh, Chicago. And now, you know, your career could be different. Maybe you're in different places. Maybe you never come to, to America in terms of coaching without this. But, but one more with Chivas. So you mentioned a couple of those names. I wanted to go back to it. Jim Curtin, Jesse Marsh. They're, they're obviously two. The two uh, Jim is already one coach of the year in MLS. Jesse's doing what he's doing with leads. Ante Razov, a longtime assistant in MLS. Paulo Nagamora is the head coach of the Houston Dynamo now. Sasha Kleshin, one of the most respected uh, veterans around the league, one of the best players, I think, in, in league history. Um, and, and just to name a few, Brad Guzan was, was still there at the time. Those film sessions had to have been pretty lively, right? <laughs> well, Precky A lot was of personalities a and a lot of smart people. <laughs> yeah, a lot of
1: smart people. So um, I have to say, I think with Jesse, you could already see that he's going to be... He was already a coach. He was a coach yeah. on the field already. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, the film sessions with Preki. Uh, I mean, guys were respected, preki, so there was not like a lot of back and forth. It was like preki said something, you better you better accept, you better accept it. But the film sessions then were different. I mean, there was like the technology was not like it is today. I think you had the full the full DVD in there, and you had to. It was completely different. Um, but they were just they were honestly they were a great bunch of we of, were a great team, really good guys, and you could see with certain. I can see now, thinking back, that yeah, Paulo Nakamura as well. He was a center. Mm-hmm. They're already thinking for the others. Jim Curtin was a center defender, but he mm. was always thinking and, and analyzing. So I'm not surprised that a lot of, a lot of um, and these players are now coaching. And, and uh, it's great to see how they do.
0: Well, was uh, any of your injury issues tied to Jim Curtin and Jesse Marsh kind of and ante coming in, coming in hard in training sessions? Because, again, the stories I've heard from, from that era, from Jim and Jesse in Chicago, there was, there was quite a lot of hard tackles and, and maybe a few punches thrown in training sessions.
1: No, my injuries were started the way before. Uh, and, and to be honest, I, I was honestly, I was a lot injured there. I didn't really train much. Yeah. Them, so so I, 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 I wasn't part of many training sessions there. No.
0: Outside of the danger zone. Maybe, maybe that was good. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, a couple more here before I let you go. Um, so I've alluded to it a few times. You spent, you know, just under a year, about a full year with the United States U-17s, including the, the 2019 U-17 World Cup. Um, is that a role like youth international management? is that something that you wanted to do longer term, or was that like you know i 'll take this experience this is something that I think would be really good for me, but hopefully there is a senior uh role available whether it 's in club or international football
1: yeah so that 's right i i um I was always very open I was very open from the beginning when I went into talks with us soccer and and um and uh, when the position was open. Uh, knowing that there is a potential workup there, uh, I was very interested in that because I did a lot of youth coaching before. Yeah. But I, for me, it was a step into the into the United States and a step into into the MLS. And and for me, it was just important to be honest uh, and very open with U.S. Soccer, Ernie Stewart, at the beginning. Um, um, from 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 the beginning. So they knew they knew that I'm coming in, but they also knew that my goal was to go into the into the MLS. Obviously then it it, it became quicker than I expected. Mm -hmm. I was only there for for 10 months, but still it was it was a great experience. Uh, I moved to Chicago. Um, Obviously I was already then in Chicago and then (laughs) Bob in Chicago came. But it was amazing for me because uh, for me it was coaching the under seventeens, but at the same time I was able to very to be very very close with Greg Berhalter, uh, Josh Wolf, Nico Estevés, mm-hmm. uh, all great coaches. Now um, um, they were very open as well with me. I was I was sitting a, th- a lot in their office uh, um, because at the time I was the only U.S. national team coach yeah. in Chicago. <laughs> So I, I went in there, and obviously I coached on the highest level in Champions League as well before. So obviously Greg was always all they were all they were talking about the game and how did you do here, awesome. what do you think about that? So that was very interesting for yeah. me. It was like was like an apprenticeship. I was I was actually learning uh, a lot from 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 Greg and his staff and 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 the way he is organized, the way he is structured, the way he sees the game. And those those conversations and meetings were were unbelievably helpful I'm, I'm still in touch with Greg and his staff and I, I also in last December went to the um, was a few days uh, at the national team camp in, in, wow. in Carson so I went to watch sessions and he's very open with me and also Nico and, and and these guys so it was it was it was not only coaching the under-17s which was a great experience mm-hmm. and I obviously was able to coach uh, Gio Reyna, Busio, mm-hmm. well, and all these guys Um, uh, but it was just as well for me like okay learning from other coaches and maybe also trying to give something because I had some experience as well on the international level but it was it was it was great
0: yeah I mean like it's funny kind of like looking back on it like you from from coming from Basel that's a really overqualified U17 international head coach so like I, I I don't think that I should be surprised that like you said it you were there for eight or nine months before you got the the Chicago job so so as you said it's Usually, you get a coach coming at that level who's either youth focused or, again, somebody who does that and then goes to a Champions League level club. But you kind of you, you had a year there, so I, again, I'm sure that that made it easy for for U.S. Soccer to to make the decision and it probably helped with the communication with with the first team staff.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but again, for me, for me, uh, it was just important to be open with them about my goals um, uh, because going into the MLS or coming into the MLS. That was in 2019. It's not easy. Uh, it's, it's, no. it's, it's a closed market. A lot of coaches as well from Europe, obviously, are now trying to get in there. And I know how it is when there is a job open. There is like 100, 120 yeah. applications from, from coaches all over the world. So uh, so I knew that maybe making a step back, uh, make, gaining some experience there, mm. uh, being in the market may, may be helpful for me to to get into, M- in, into the MLS. and, and yeah, I mean, it was it was all it's part it's part of my history. It's part of my my uh, it's in my backpack. And, and uh, again, I met great people and and in every job I, I learned and that, that helps me now being a better a better coach now and, and probably as well to be a better coach in the future.
0: Uh, last one, then just looking at that roster, you, you did a couple of names. But uh, for those listening, Joe scally George Bello, Gianluca Busio, Ricardo Pepe, Gio Reyna, Griffin, yeah, who's now in Europe as well. Um, again, just to name a handful of, of really strong players. That's, you know, you you have five guys who have gone on to the, to play for the senior national team, and then you've you've got, you know, two of them, I, I guess, with Pepe and Raya, and, and Busio is the third in terms of, you know, actually all five of those guys have made, you know, pretty big money transfers to Europe. I know Gio was was free, but he would have been a lot of money if he didn't have that that European pass, weren't able to go to, to Dortmund. But you know, what was it like when when seeing those guys? And 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 there are there are always talented players, but and and I'm sure every single player on that team is very talented, but, but it doesn't always work out to getting to the next level. So has it uh, what, what has it been like following those guys' careers since you worked with them at that World Cup?
1: I mean obviously, it was it's great it was great to follow them. It's great to see their progress, uh, and every career is different. Um uh Giorena and I've coached some pretty good players uh uh in my Oswald use use coach, mm-hmm. then going up to Basel. Uh Gio Reyna was the best player that I've ever coached uh, wow. in, at 16, 16 and a half years old. Uh, he was, I mean, he is <laughs> technically unbelievable. He, he was quite strong already for a 16 and a half year old, uh, fast, un- unbelievable IQ of, of, of play. So, um, But at that moment, he didn't really play. Because I, I, if I remember right, he didn't really play at New York CDU's at that moment in
0: that year. He was he was uh, going to Dortmund, so,
1: so he didn't have any rhythm. And then he went to Dortmund, but uh, and then to, to the World Cup. I think uh, there was also problems. So it was not an easy year, but the talent of him like, was unbelievable. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that he is um, where he is now because, like I said, he is probably the best 16-year. Year old I have trained or seventeen year old, um, but I think was what was very important for him is to go to Germany to to learn that mentality to learn mm-hmm. what it means to work uh, every day and fight for a spot every day and transition backwards and uh, defend uh, mm-hmm. as a winger or as an eight backwards uh, because obviously um, that's what you what you do uh, on the on the highest level and I think uh, he th- this this years or this year in in, in, in Dortmund probably helped him. And uh, I, I just hope that he stays fit because he was a lot of he he had a lot of injuries. Uh, why I don't know, but I hope that he stays fit and he can get consistency in his performances or in his games. And then I'm I'm sure um, uh, it will he will be an an, an unbelievable player. Uh, Buzio, Buzio for me was the most mature player I've ever coached yeah. at 17. He he was awesome. unbelievable. Um, awesome. and, and I didn't coach Buzio a lot because sometimes yeah. we had training camps. Uh, with the under-17s were the MLS players. We, we couldn't invite them because they had the season. But mm. he was just... Uh, Buzio was just... An, uh, you, you you were like talking to a 25-year-old <laughs> when he was 17. He, he was so clear with what he wants. He was so professional. And that was obviously that was obviously great to see because I obviously know that you need that. Uh, mm. You need to know what you want. You need to be professional. Um, and, and and that was, so So every story is a bit different, and every character was different, Um Pepe was two, an old three, so he was a younger, Yeah. and you saw, you saw, obviously, that he, that he has talent, but at that moment, uh, at that moment, I couldn't really, it's difficult to judge 15, 16-year-olds, 16, 16 and a half-year-olds, you always have to be careful in saying, oh, he's not going to make it, or, oh, this guy is unbelievable, because there is so much going on between mm-hmm. and 19 or 20 in their bodies, and in, in getting mature and everything, so so Ricardo obviously was a, was already there, a goal scorer, very dangerous in front of goal, um, um, and it was great to see his development. I just hope that these guys uh, don't leave too early. Uh, he obviously now is in Germany, and it's difficult because I also know the Bundesliga level. I played there for ten years and it's a different level, and being in the roster of a Bundesliga team is is, is different. There is, they're not going to give you much time. You have to compete every day, even when you play a game or two. That doesn't mean that you're going to have your position for sure again the next Saturday. You have to basically confirm your position every day in every training session. That's maybe a little bit different. So I think sometimes players leave the MLS too early, um, uh, and and then they go to Europe because they think... Things are better in Europe, mm. but it's actually very difficult, uh, and it depends where you go to Europe. So if you go immediate directly to a top five league, it's 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 not the best step for everyone. Every career is different, of course. Um, but yeah, um, it's it's an experience for them.
0: I'm I'm glad you point out. I think that that's always my biggest argument with that is that there is no this is great for everybody and this is what at, at age 18 you should be starting for the mls team by 19 or 20 you should be in a european team like you said every every career is different every, development isn't linear like i think i look at a, a guy like brendan aronson that should be like put it on the wall hall of fame this this was the the best he, he played a little bit with the philly second team gets a first team contract isn't immediately starting wins a job stays for a year and a half as a legitimate starter he could have went to a Bundesliga team. I, I know for a fact that there was teams offering a little bit more money than Salzburg was, but together with the with the union, together with him, his represent his representatives, his family, Salzburg was the right choice. And then he goes to Salzburg. He's playing immediately. It's in a system that fits him perfectly. And now he goes to Leeds, another team that that fits him perfectly. So like like you said, it, it, it's not just about Europe. as this you know magical place that if you can go, you need to get there immediately. So I I, I think that that's important that you brought it up. That again, it. it at, at 18 for some players it might be 22 for another and you know it's just everything is different in every situation is
1: different. yeah that's why that's why because we have the same conversations here uh, in, in Switzerland mm-hmm. uh, we had the same conversations and you cannot categorize and say for everyone it's the same that's why you need to look at every case individually uh, and there may be no right or wrong personally I I played at six when I was 16 and a half I debuted make my debut in the, in the Swiss top league. And mm. I was then for three and a half years, a starter or three years, a starter. And then I went to Germany. So that was my path. And I think that's, that was the right path. Uh, I believe if you're an MLS player, it's, it's good to do your, your 60, 75, 80 games in MLS and really, really confirm your status there. And, 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 uh, and not just leave after 15 MLS games, mm-hmm. and think, oh, I've done it now. I have an offer to, leave, to go to <laughs> Europe. Uh, but but again, every every pass is different. Uh, and then again, what club do you choose? Uh, if you yep. choose at 18 years old a top five league club, <laughs> and okay, it worked for Gio, right? Yeah. But again, I said, Gio for me has an unbelievable talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everyone is like that. The others have really to see, do I go to Switzerland? Do I go to Austria? Do I go to the Netherlands or Belgium where the level is a little bit lower? Mm-hmm. You have maybe less competition uh, and you have more chances to play. For me, the most important is that the guys between 18 and 21, they play. Uh, you, you need to have games every, every weekend. That's how you develop. You can have a very good training week. But in the end of the day, you need to be on the field uh, on the weekend. And if, if, if that's the MLS uh, and, and then you leave at 21 and you're, you're actually, yeah, you, you made your three years in MLS uh, and then you make the right choice to, where to go, that, that, that's a pass as well. Um, But I I don't think you can categorize.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that was good. Good career life advice with Rafa Viggy. Uh, Rafa, I've I've taken up uh, enough of your time here. Look, uh, thank you so much for for talking, humoring some of these questions, good or bad. Um, And and good luck and looking forward to continuing following you at at Youngwood.
1: Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.